Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in the United States of America, which is our great country, or around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray, and we are on the Voice America Variety Channel, here with another edition of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And as you hear it, we don't have all the answers. In fact, if I find people that have all the answers, I try to run as fast as I can in the other direction. But we certainly will discuss issues directly. We'll talk about reality, what's going on today, and we're certainly going to get into that in today's segment, which will be with our guest, Wolf von Lehr, who is the chief executive officer for Students for Liberty. Uh, I've got to tell you, going around the country, you look at what the status is, and financially, uh, we are in some trouble. It's precarious. Uh, I'm involved with something called the World Affairs Council here in Orange County, California, and we bring in various high-level speakers talking about the world, talking about our security and the rest. And one of them was recently an ambassador, John Negroponte, who has been the ambassador of Mexico and various other countries around the world from the United States, also heavily involved in the State Department. And after he gave us a really interested, insightful speech, the first question was, well, Ambassador Negroponte, what is the biggest security threat to the United States of America? And without batting an eyelash, he said, it's the deficit. It's the overspending. Now, look, I'm older. I've been around a while. I'm on Social Security. I've got a pension. Uh, I'm doing pretty well, and I think most of my generation is doing pretty well. Uh, but our children are financially in trouble, and our grandchildren could very well be bankrupt because of all of the spending obligations that government has taken in. So I talk to young people as often as I can and say, look, if we're going to be okay, but if you're not involved politically, you'll wish you had because you are in effect bankrupt from what's going on. We have a group called Students for Liberty that is socially and politically involved. Uh, they will talk about real issues. They will, they will debate things. We have some really good news about that. They're stationed in Arlington, Virginia, and our guest, Wolf von Lehr, as I said, is the chief executive officer, having taken over from its founder, Alexander McCobin. And if you look at their website, which, uh, let me see, I don't see it right now, but we'll, we'll hear it. Uh, you'll see who some of their rec their, their, uh, advisors are. And it's almost just a who's who uh, of the Liberty Movement, uh, John Mackey from Whole Foods, uh, Catherine Mango Ward, who's the editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine, uh, Judge, uh, Dr. Jim Lark, who's a longtime favorite of mine, very intelligent people. They're getting out there, not only here in the United States of America, but actually all around the world. So hooray for that. We're going to talk about who they are, what they do, what their programs are, and let me bring in their chief executive officer, who's been kind enough to spend this hour with us, Wolf von Lehr. Wolf, thank you for being with us, and welcome to All Rise. 
Judge Gray, thank you so much for having me. We are all rise here, and, and we say with some frequency, yes, a bailiff will spell out those words when the judge takes the bench for the first time, but the idea is if we employ libertarian values, libertarian principles, responsibility for individual, corporate, governmental, we will all rise together, both here and around the world. So I think that we've converted you, or you've converted us, Wolf, for libertarian values. Tell us a little bit about how you became involved with that wonderful group, expanding group, Students for Liberty. Absolutely. Like First, one has to ask how uh, this random German guy that is on the phone right now uh, got to be the chief executive officer of an international organization based here in the United States. Um, so I discovered the ideas of liberty through Google, <laughs> because the financial crisis happened, the last one, um, 2007 and eight, and I think the discourse was not very um, elevated. It was about, oh, it's the greed of the bankers, and it's the fault of capitalism, and that as an explanation didn't really make sense to me. So I started to Google, and I found out about Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, about the Community Reinvestment Act, but eventually also about the business cycle theories by Mises and Hayek, the so-called Austrian business cycle theory. And reading these folks, I've learned so much more about the world and how the economy works and, and society that I really dug into this. And then I became um, very quickly a libertarian and studied everything that I could about it. At the same time, I also became fluent in English because I have a bad high school education <laughs> and I was a bad student, so that combination didn't really help growing up in Germany. But then um, I took intense language classes in Silver Springs, Maryland, and I became fluent and a different world opened up to me and I got a little bit crazy, studied in Turkey, Argentina, London, Stockholm, got my PhD, master's, all that stuff. But at the same time, I was always active within Students for Liberty. And I can tell you, when I first met Alexander McCoban, you've already mentioned the guy who founded the organization here in the U.S., and some of the other students from Europe trying to plan what we're going to do in Europe, I was so thoroughly impressed. The training that I've received, the seriousness, as well as the approach to really talk about human dignity, human freedom, um, was so amazing that I became very active in it, got to organize as a young 20-year-old an event with 320 people. I never thought I would be able to do such a thing. I got to raise 50,000 euros as a young 20-year-old and started the first training program of volunteers in Europe. And Students for Liberty really showed me not only my life's purpose to spread the ideas of liberty and tell people like how important it is for our well-being and for everyone's well-being, but also it showed me that I can do bigger and better things. And it gave me more confidence. And now I'm in a privileged position to oversee close to 60 staff members, a budget of $4.9 million, and operations in 103 countries where we are working with volunteers that spread these ideas of liberty every single day. Well, Wolf, I, I can tell you that sometimes people find that liberty can be scary. You know, oh, mother government's not going to protect me. I'm going to have to actually be on my own. But I think that you have seen, just like I have, that Henry Ford's comment, and again, not socially my favorite person in the world, because I think he was anti-Semitic, but he said something that we should all understand, which is anyone that feels that they can thrive by relying on the government should talk to the American Indian. And, and it isn't because yeah. we, we want to roll up your sleeves and, and have survival of the fittest or any of these other stuff. It's because we care about people. We want them to be able to get a return on their investment if they 
make investments, they will get a return on it. If they educate themselves, they'll thrive. And and so I think that's what we have seen. But a lot of people your age, uh, I'm, I'm a lot older than, than you are and don't purport to have all the answers, but they're gravitating toward what they call socialism, and it flat out doesn't work. Uh, tell us about how you try to show people that socialism is going to lead us in the wrong direction, just like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac did, which I agree with you. I think they caused the financial problem by guaranteeing home loans that never should have taken place. Uh, and, and why not? You know, if you're a bank and you have the loan guaranteed, you're going to provide a lot more loans than you otherwise wouldn't. But how are you going to get away now uh, from from so many of your contemporaries at least mouthing the words saying, oh, socialism is the way to go. Yes, and of course, I love the fact that you're always saying in the show that we don't have all the answers. That piece of humility is really an important cornerstone of the libertarian belief system or classical liberal belief system, and I like that. And that's the case with the financial crisis as well. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac was part of it, but it was also low interest rates, the Federal Reserve, other regulations, many businesses, and it's a complex picture. And so it is with the belief of young people in socialism. It is true, if you look at recent studies, that... 70% of younger people, Gen Z and Millennials, Generation Z and Millennials, say that um, 70% of them want government to do more, and many of them have a more favorable view of socialism. While it's true that most of the time when generations are younger, when boomers were younger, they were more favorable to socialism and has changed over their lifetime, because once you're in the workforce and you see how much the government is taking and how shitty your votes are, <laughs> then, then you might be thinking, hmm, maybe it's not that, that effective. But uh, the difference in this generation is that they have really lost their belief in capitalism, and they don't know um, what the future will hold. Many of them coming out of universities are underemployed. They don't work in industries where they need a college degree. And, of course, it's a different question if you need so many people in universities, and I certainly think not. But you ask the question, what do we do about this? It's a complex phenomenon, like why people believe more in government. But I think there are a couple of things that we can be doing a better job on, and I think your show is a huge part of that. It is showing that the ideas of liberty doesn't have all the answers. It is subtle. It relies on human beings and families and communities to solve problems and not only looking at government. But we also have to showcase what it means to not be free. We are living here in the United States of America, and I'm happy that I can live here now. And it's a very free country. Yes, there's a lot of regulation. Yes, there's a lot of spending going on. Yes, there's huge amounts of debt, and we have to tackle all of that. But we are very free compared to the rest of the world. And therefore, we have to show young people that don't remember the Cold War, that don't know what the Red Kramer is, and that don't know what's happening in Venezuela, that we have to showcase these stories. And while we are focusing most of our resources working with students in the United States, we have international programs, and we have people in Venezuela. We have people in Belarus, the last dictatorship in Europe. We have people in the so-called, and I'm doing air quotes here, Democratic Republic of Congo. Like These individuals often don't have access to food and other resources, but they still get up every day to fight for the ideas of liberty because they want to have a better future. And I can tell you a brief story here. We have one student from Venezuela. He moved now to Florida because he was very active in Venezuela protesting. He has over 100,000 followers on Twitter. And uh, his name is Jorge. And if you have such an audience, of course, you're being threatened. And so his parents decided to send him abroad because they were scared for him of his life. And 
I met him at one of our trainings that we had in Bryn Mawr in Philadelphia. And uh, I saw a video during that training where um, an opposition politician, Leopold Lopez, in Venezuela, he yelled out of his prison cell because he was in prison, because, of course, he was an opposition politician, so he'd get imprisoned. He yelled out of his prison cell to his wife that he's being tortured. And I saw that video on Facebook, and I immediately went to Jorge. And I asked him, like, how is he feeling? And I saw the pain in his eyes when he told me, like, I am very concerned right now because I have many friends that stand up for the of liberty, that are imprisoned in Caracas, that they are being tortured right now as well. If you talk to someone like that, if you see their pain in the eyes and hear their stories, you really get a different quality for liberty. You get a different appreciation of it, and you know what it means. It means so much more than getting rid of stupid regulation. It means human dignity. It means human freedom that we can choose our own lives while we're not hurting others. And these are the stories that we're bringing out there with an international perspective. And, of course, we're educating every year tens of thousands of people. Last year we had... In a single school year, 99,263 people in person at our events. So education well, is one part, but also telling these stories is another. That's just, that's just sensational. What a contribution. And you just underscore the belief that I've had for a great long time, which is the people that have voluntarily come to the United States to live here really appreciate who we are a lot more generally than people like me that were born here, that they see, for example, you know, if you're coming here from, from Venezuela and you're escaping a tyranny that's descending, it's just it's bringing havoc upon their people. And then you look with alarm when you see how our government tends to be going more toward the government from which they escaped. And, and it's just something that, that is just terrible to see. I have written a musical called Convention, the Birth of America, and it's about the Constitutional Convention. So I'm into the founders. And each one of them in the Constitutional Convention, they fought, they, dis they debated, they, they scuffled about different issues, but each one to a man, they were all men, each one to a man believed that the most important function of government is providing a safe haven for our liberties against the encroachment of government. And the number two import was security, but we've gotten so far away from that, and it's groups like yours, Students for Liberty, that are underscoring the importance of liberty, because that's our soul. In the United States of America, the, our soul is our liberties, is our freedoms, and our soul today is under attack, in my view, by our very own government. You are... Uh, holding a beacon of light in that, not only to my generation, but importantly more to your generation. So thank you for doing that. How do you spread that word? You have numbers of ways, you have functions, uh, you actually have uh, movie screenings, as I understand it as well. Uh, tell us about some of the movies that you would show your c colleagues and others uh, that bring and underscore the importance of liberty. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there's different ways of spreading liberty, and it, different messages resonate with different folks. And there's not a silver bullet to spread the ideas of liberty. And that is a very, that is a very libertarian insight, very Hayekian, uh, of course, Friedrich von Hayek. And um, I would like to tie this, before I'm talking about the movies and the videos that we have, I would like to tie this back about something else that you've said about why do people go towards more socialism. It is also because... And again, it's a complex phenomenon, but it is also because schools tell students what to do. Universities tell students what to do. Often parents tell their kids what to do. 
And there's very little room for people to experiment and to go out there and engage in trial and error. You're just in a machinery where you have to jump through like a bunch of bureaucratic loops, write papers that nobody cares about, and then you get like a degree, at least in the social sciences, if you're an engineer or biochemist or something, it's of course more useful. And I'm a social scientist, so I can say that. Um, but it is really the ability for young people to go out there and try something new. And that's what we're doing with Students for Liberty as well. We give students the opportunity to organize events, to run reading groups, to maybe start a podcast or have a radio. And we don't care how they're doing, how they're spreading the Liberty, Liberty as long as they're doing it. And that is really part of our ethos, why we're not only empowering young people by spreading, like having them spread the message instead of just talking at them, they're doing the work. But also it shows them that they can do bigger and better things. And that is what often universities and schools are lacking um, in, in the education of other folks because they're just teaching at them instead of like letting them do the work. And if you've never really realized that you can do great things as a human being, then of course you look for the government for solutions because the universities, you could complain there, you could complain to the teacher, you complain to the professors, then you complain to the government. Therefore, if people realize like what they can do as individuals, then they're much less likely to look for the government for solutions, but they're forging their own path. And um, so we do have an online education program. It's called Learn Liberty. And I would encourage everyone of your listeners to check it out. You just type it in on YouTube, Learn Liberty, and we have 600 videos there. So it's like hours of hours of content, very often like small videos, very um, bite-sized ones, but sometimes longer interviews. And we have over um, 50 million views on those. And they really tackle topics that we all care about, like minimum wage laws. Why don't they work? Will robots take over the jobs? Like questions that you're asking on the show, we are trying to tackle with professors there and, and have it in an engaging and animated way so it is accessible for a broad audience. And often our students are using that as a resource. Um, but we also have full-fledged online programming. We have uh, Liberty 101, Econ 101, and people can access that on sflacademy.org. And if they want to learn about Africa, we have a course about Liberty in Africa, which is not taught by like white people like me, but by black American scholars, uh, black, not American, but black African scholars, who are talking about the issues that pertain to their environment and that speak to the issues at hand. And I think that's always important so that we not, in general, as libertarians, talk from our perspective that we're trying to understand where other people are coming from. And I think if you're doing this more and your show is really a part of that, um, we will be more successful in spreading the ideas. Well, Will, thank you for all of that. I'm almost taking notes while you're talking. I'm learning a great deal from you. Uh, and Learn Liberty is a great thing. I will, I will Google that and continue to learn. Uh, by the way, I have uh, your, your uh, website for Students for Liberty is really complicated. It's www studentsforliberty.org. So please, I encourage my listeners to, uh, to go there either to Learn Liberty or studentsforliberty.org. I can also tell you that if you're in college, do you have all of these supposed microaggressions or free, free speech zones where you're shielded from speech? And, and my belief is the most appropriate response for that is, look, if you're in college and you're not getting challenged at least 10 times a week, you're not getting your money's worth. That shielding you from different thoughts, different speech is exactly counter to what you should be doing in college. And it's students for liberty that are assisting doing that. So, so thank you for that. I can also say that, look, unless you have a fundamental understanding of economics, just supply and demand, uh, you're not an educated person. 
that economics always makes a difference in decisions made. It doesn't control them necessarily, but it's always a part of this. And again, Students for Liberty is focusing on economics. I heard uh, CEO Wolf von Lehr uh, talk about this just a minute ago. And I would encourage you, Wolf, that there is a wonderful essay that was actually written in 1958, I believe, by a fellow named Leonard Reed, <laughs> interesting mm. last name, R-E-A-D, and it's called I Pencil. And it just brings home so fascinatingly uh, how you have different people out there that don't know each other, that don't care about each other, that probably have different religions and philosophies and the rest, but they're all working toward your having this wonderfully finished lead pencil in your hand uh, for a reasonable price. That means some people work on the metal that go for that bracket on the eraser, and some work on getting the lead out for their acting in their own economic self-interest, and some bring in the wood, and it all combines, not through government, government has nothing to do with it, but you're working for your own rewards, and you're combining with others. So have you heard of iPencil before, or if not, as I look at Learn Liberty, I'd ask you to look at iPencil. Oh, absolutely. iPencil is, is a fantastic uh, piece of art, I would even say. And we often are good at giving a lot of data. I mean, we can say that in the last two decades, over one billion people get lifted out of poverty. But we're losing people. Along. I mean, this is a staggering number, but what does that mean? We have to tell stories because that's how our brains think, not with, not with numbers. And iPencil shows beautifully the power of the price system. And we need to show the world more as libertarians how much appreciation we can have for that and have a different lens. And economics gives you a different lens. Not only if you have like supply and demand, but for me it was reading more the Austrian economists, which is Ludwig Mises and Hayek. And you get a different appreciation of it. So for instance, sometimes when I go into a supermarket or like a foreign supermarket, I love always to go in there and I see all of these different products. Like you have probably thousand products in front of you and you're going through it and each week, you're going there, and each week there are same products, same quality. There might be new products, and there's a can of soup, which costs maybe like 70 cents or something, and you buy it. And how the hell is it possible that you're not going to die, that it's always high quality? It's like millions of people, as you said, behind it that come together to produce the metal, to produce the soup, to ship it there, and it's, it's, it's flawless. And this is just miraculous how this works, just thinking about that, how this all happens. And instilling this kind of appreciation and understanding of the complexity of the world that we're living in, which is based on property rights, the right to exchange freely goods and services, and the price system is something that we need to show more clearly through stories. And iPencil is a wonderful example. So please um, tell the listeners more about it. It's a very short read. There's also an animated video out there. Um, I'm not sure who produced it, but if you type in iPencil on YouTube, you will find it, and it's, it's, it's emotional. And, uh, yeah, it shows a different perspective on, like, why free markets are so important instead of just looking at, I don't know, wages and GDPs and so forth. And you need both, hard data but also storytelling. You know, I can also tell you that Ian Rand is one of the people that have, uh, have really helped us in a lot of ways but also have not. Uh, and that she coined the word greed is good. And, and she meant the same thing. She meant, in my view, working for your own benefit 
is a really positive thing and things group together. But unfortunately, libertarians are tasked or, or basically sold that, that greed is a good thing, that we are survival of the fittest. I would say in a different way that, look, if I were bleeding on the street right here, you would have no legal obligation to help me unless you caused my injuries. That would be different. Uh, but just because I'm alive doesn't mean that you owe me anything. But we will because we want to. Because, Wolf, we are a compassionate people, but it's not that you're entitled. Maybe you'd be even appreciative of the assistance of the government, but as a last resort. That the first resort is and should be, most productively, you yourself. And if you can get the benefit of your labors, you're going to have that incentive to earn the extra money instead of these government programs that actually give you an incentive not to work which is really downright stupid. So, so these are where we're going as libertarians, just like this program, it's called All Rise. We will all rise together if, in fact, we employ the libertarian values and approaches of responsibility and, and gain for your own efforts. Yes, you are, you are doing this. Are, are we making progress? Are you gaining uh, membership here and around the world in the last uh, five years? Oh yes, absolutely. I'm I'm in the business of selling hope, and I'm very hopeful. Of course, there's always setbacks, and if you consume too much media, then uh, then there will be <laughs> you will be more depressed. And uh, I don't do that all that much. But I, 12 years ago, we didn't exist. We started off with just Alexander McCobin putting stuff on his credit card, working out of an office of a different nonprofit, and now we have 60 staff members and we're active in 103 countries. And last year we had over 100 thousand people at our events. And the important thing is realizing how many thousand students are behind that organizing this. They will become better leaders because of that. And the results are staggering because now we have people elected in office. Just last year, we had over six people elected to offices around the world, including the United States, but also federal Congress people in Brazil, two of them that were part of Students for Liberty and have even started it. And if you give young people opportunity, they will grow and they will seize the moment. And young people can change the world. Um, give you a different example. One of our students, his name is Aymable. He is from the country of Burundi. He single-handedly in one year organized events for 2,000 folks in Rwanda, Congo, and in Burundi, countries where we have never been active and that probably never hear about the ideas of liberty very much. But more importantly then, he gained more confidence, more abilities that he started his own think tank. And he was able to reduce the filing fee for a new business in Burundi for $78 to $22. That might not sound much to you and I and to our listeners here. However, Burundi has a GDP per capita of $292, according to the World Bank. But think about what that means. That means thousands of people can now sustain their families, start a business, and produce value for probably millions of Burundians. This is just an action of one individual that changed the course of his country to some extent and the course of thousands of people's lives in that way. And that is possible. That is possible in the United States, too. So it indeed is, Lou. You know, this is inspirational. And by the way, again, our guest is the CEO of Students for Liberty, Wolf von Lair. Lair is L-A-E-R. And go and, and check out their website for www.studentsforliberty.org. We're going to come back after these messages and discuss the hope of Students for Liberty because they are not only here doing wonderful things as you're hearing in our country, but they're around the world. And in fact, when I invited Wolf to be our guest, uh, he said, well, be sure, let's talk about Brazil. So that's the first question I'm going to ask Wolf von Lair as our guest on 
on uh, all rise once we come back from these messages. Hey, Wolf, what's going on in Brazil? We'll hear after these words. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. Welcome home to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray and my current guest, Wolf von Lair, the CEO of that marvelous group, and very educated and inspiring group, Students for Liberty. As promised, I'm going to keep my word. Uh, Wolf von Lehr, when I asked you, invited you to be a guest on this show, you said, well, be sure to ask what Students for Liberty is doing in Brazil. So I've sharpened my pencil, I pencil indeed. What's going on in Brazil with Students for Liberty? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. So Brazil is one of the biggest regions after the United States that we have, and it's uh, fairly surprising because one would not expect that. But there's a couple of things that I would like to mention. I mean, right now, the government with Bolsonaro is quite questionable. I mean, the guy is a populist, and he has all kinds of radical ideas, and he likes to, uh, similar to our president here, um, tweet a bunch of uh, not very thoughtful stuff, to put it mildly. (laughs) So there's some parallels there. However... Before Bolsonaro became uh, in charge, there was a very socialist and corrupt government for many, many years. And Brazil was crushed by that. Very high taxation, also a lot of regulation. However, the youth was sick of it. And we have built a network of thousands of students in Brazil. And a couple of years ago, they were able to organize protests in many different cities. But the biggest protest took place in Sao Paulo with over 200,000 people. And the message was against corruption, against socialism, pro-free market. Actually, one of their slogans was, less Marx, more Mises. 
Ludwig von Mises, a great free market thinker, of course. And that's the slogan that they still carry on to this day. And thinking about that, having 200,000 people on the street, having that slogan is just amazing in itself. However, that energy didn't go away. These people work day and night because they want to have a freer future. And they start organizations. They have started many nonprofits. They have started businesses. And many of them have not be become elected. So we have four people elected in the last election, our alumni. So we are not politically active. We are an education organization, but our alumni, two of them are now in the federal Congress and two of them are now in state congresses. And that's just amazing to think about because uh, two of them are like only 22 years of age and they are now in political office and they have a very firm and political um, education that is based on the ideas of liberty. And they do have influence. Like another alumnus of ours, he works, and get this, he works for the Secretary of Privatization. <laughs> that exists in Brazil. It's, un, it's unthinkable, unfortunately, here in the United States or in, in Germany that that would exist. We definitely need it, but they have that. And that guy, he used to work for us. His name is John Luca. He used to work for us. He was a student um, of ours. He wrote the so-called Economic Bill of Rights, and it has 15 paragraphs in there. And if you translate them, they're straight rule of law. And I know you're a fan of that. It is straight rule of law. It means less bureaucratization. It means either like same rules for the same folks. So you don't have like rules that are discriminating one party over the other. It means less taxation, easier ways to start businesses, um, due process, all of that. And uh, Bolsonaro, the president, has already signed it. And now it's currently being debated in Congress. And even if it doesn't go anywhere, this is huge, and one would not expect that from a country in Brazil living in the West, right? And so there's a lot of momentum going on, and they are an example how really young people and mostly students can change the course of a country because they have the right ideas, they have the right people, and the time was right. You're even in Venezuela, as I understand it. Uh, what What's happening there that's good? Because most of it is not good. No, most of it is definitely not good, and uh, it's really hard to organize anything there if you don't have food, if you don't have medicine. But we have events there from time to time, and so we often had to move the events to different locations. So the students had to do that because the secret police were coming there and trying to undermine it or beat people up or something. But uh, we have still students active there. They're doing most of their activities right now online. They don't go so much to gatherings because it's too dangerous, but we still have an active network there, and we're trying our best to protect them. We always have like a little part of our budget is set aside so that we can like help folks that have an emergency. And in the past, we had to pull people out and had to move them from Venezuela to Colombia because they were threatened by the government. We had people being imprisoned in, in Belarus and also in Nigeria um, for talking about in Nigeria about like LGBT rights and like rights of minorities and so forth. So what we already now here in the United States appreciate and don't even think about it. Some countries are still struggling with. And so that's very often very inspiring. And we don't try to put them into danger, but often these kids come to us and say like, hey, I'm doing this with or without you. And we'd rather have, it, have them be active within our organization so that they can access to our network and that we can also work with human rights activists and so forth to help folks like that. But it definitely is an uphill battle in many of these countries, but it gives me hope that these ideas that you and I share and many of your listeners share, they are really universal. Every country, every nation, every society has stories of liberation and stories of oppression. Yes, indeed. And the ideas of liberty connect 
with many different folks, and sometimes they have to connect it to like thinkers that they have there. But often, like these folks connect with the same thinkers, as in the case of Brazil, when they said like less Marx, more Mises. Marx, of course, a German thinker, <laughs> which is bad. Most of the German thinkers that to uh, really bad ideas. Um, Frankfurt School as well would be another example. But then they also look at Ludwig von Mises, who came from the um, Augsburg Empire, and many people learn from folks around the world about why it's so important to have property rights, uh, be tolerant to other folks, and yeah, just live in a free society. Wolf, you're, you're, you're such a, a hope giving, giving guidance here. Uh, if you're going to have privatization even discussed in Brazil and, and in other places of this kind, uh, hooray for that. Uh, I give money to something called Oxfam which actually helps make microloans around the world, uh, mostly to women, by the way, but or Heifer International will help give a, a herd of, of goats to, uh, to people and allow them to learn animal husbandry, to milk the goats, to uh, use them for food, and that sort of thing. So if you get on that lower level, that's where you really make progress. Uh, the United States government, of course, gives a whole lot of money to the governments of, of other countries, which in my view in many ways results in their leaders driving Mercedes and having Swiss bank accounts. But you're also, as I understand it, in France. Uh, if you could get anything, anyone to even wor use the word privatization in France, uh, that'd be a victory in itself. What are you doing in France? Yeah, that's actually very funny because I, I was already early in this conversation talking about when the European leaders came for the first time together to discuss what to do in Europe. We were looking at the map and we were splitting up who's going to focus on which country, trying to establish coalitions and trying to find pro-liberty professors and get them involved. And we're saying, like, oh, you will be doing Scandinavia. You were doing the German-speaking countries. You will take care of the Balkans in Eastern Europe. France, eh, not going to happen. <laughs> like we, we literally said that, and now France is one of the biggest regions that we have, and they're very um, autonomous. They have their own leadership structures, and many of their volunteers, of course, are our people. But then they do a lot of stuff on, on Bitcoin and the sharing economy. They're really interested in businesses. They started their own startup incubator where they invite business people to talk to students about how to start a business. But then they also invite people to talk about why free markets are necessary in order for businesses to thrive and be, um, and how it, business will be ethical within a free market. So you have the ideological component and the practical one. And the, Fran and the French folks, they came up with these ideas themselves. And that idea spread now to, to other countries, to Ukraine and Vienna, when they copied it from the, from the French folks. And, uh, I didn't think it was possible, and we recently had an article with one of our alumni in Le Monde, with one of the biggest newspapers in France, where he talked about free market ideas. They translate a lot of the videos that we have already talked about at Learn Liberty or other videos that are out there, like the iPencil. They're doing a lot of translation, so it's it's um, accessible in French, because as you know, French people don't like to speak English all that much, and so they need to have it in their native language and connect them to the broader liberty movement, which is necessary because, unfortunately, the, the liberal, liberal in the European sense, which is libertarian, tradition in France went away. But early on, some of the most prominent libertarian thinkers came from France. Frédéric Bastiat, who is a reader, spelled B-A-S-T-I-A-T, Bastiat, um, is a fantastic writer and very witty, very easy and accessible, and he breaks down complex concepts. And he was a legislator, he was a columnist, he made, a fun, he made fun of bureaucrats and politicians in a very witty way, 
And we had a lot of thinkers coming from France, but their tradition completely went away. And it's very bureaucratic, very, very centralistic, very focused on federal government. But there is now also a youth movement that fights against that and tries to focus on more entrepreneurial solutions to bring more freedom to people. Because politics is one vehicle of bringing about freedom. Law is another. And you um, did a lot on that, which is fantastic. But business is yet another one. And we need to focus on all of these different spheres if we want to defend liberty, not on only one, because, again, there's no silver bullet for liberty. Well, indeed so. Uh, I'm going to uh, respond a little bit to your comment that French don't like to speak English. Uh, I'm going to ask you or our listeners a question. Uh, what do you call someone that speaks three languages? And the answer, in my view, is trilingual. What do you call a person that speaks two languages? And the answer is bilingual. What do you call a person that speaks one language? And the answer is American. So I think at least people in France speak more than one language. At least that's to their benefit. But in, in also response to you, Wolf von Lair, uh, again, the CEO of that marvelous group, Students for Liberty, uh, I, Milton Friedman will remain one of my long Ever, everlasting heroes. And he was quoted as saying, look, if you're going to rely on the, on the government to help us, mother government or the rest, where are those angels of government? Where are they? Where have they been so far? Why do you think that they're going to be of more benefit next, next day, next year than they have been now? That you've got to rely on something and they all have their problems. Uh, and if you're in relying on government, government has its own ways, its own benefits. One thing that big government is extremely, extremely effective at, and that is increasing the size, the power, the cost of big government. So Milton Friedman, I think, is absolutely right. If you're going to rely on those angels of government, why haven't we seen them yet? And why do you think that you're going to see them tomorrow? Absolutely. And what people sometimes ignore is that government and democracy, or a republic, um, it matters what kind of institutional setting they are in. What do I mean with that? I mean by that is that if you have democracy where you vote for your representatives, it does matter if you are living in a town of like 10,000 or 20,000 people or in a municipality, because then you know who you're voting for, you know to which bar they are going, you have like different ways of giving feedback to public representatives. In a country of 320 million people here in the United States, you vote for some people, they are all here in Washington, D.C. You might be living on the, on, the East, uh, on the West Coast of the country. There is no really feedback mechanism. That's the reason why I believe that the Founding Fathers were so focused on federalism, but we went so far away from it and gave more and more power to the federal government and the, the over 300,000 bureaucrats that are just here working in Washington, D.C. for the federal government, which are only the ones that are bureaucrats, because now we, we don't even know how many people are contractors, which is an interesting other question. Maybe you have a guest one time on the show talking about that, because nowadays they don't hire bureaucrats, they hire contractors, and nobody is really focusing on like, how many people are working for the government but are not officially on the payroll, and nobody's tracking that. But the important thing is it matters much more if you, uh, if you make decisions that are local, that make sense on a local level, and can be even healthcare and complex things like that. I'll give you an example from Switzerland. If you vote there... You vote for the local judge, you see them, they stand up there. And also when you vote for an issue, it tells you, like, if you want to build this new school in our district, it will increase the VAT, the tax, it will increase it by three percentage points for the next three years in order to finance that. There you have a choice and you have costs attached to it, as in a marketplace. If I want a Starbucks coffee, I have to pay for it, right? Here I can vote 
for Bernie Sanders, which means I want free healthcare, I want free education, I want free everything, which doesn't exist because, as Norton Friedman has said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. I can do that and there's no cost to me. However, if I would be doing this on a local level, I would see the costs immediately. And so if government grows to such a level that everything is centrally stirred by just the federal government, then people lose responsibility. And so government should be much smaller and decisions should be made on the local level. And that's what the founding fathers understood. That's that's a lot of the debates in the Federalist Papers. But we're forgetting this and we give more and more power to the federal government because maybe one state has failed on an issue and said, like, no. Now the bureaucrats of D.C. have to focusing on that. But if they fail, where do we go then? We of cannot course. go anywhere. Uh, you're, just, you're just so right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for you for president, Wolf. Uh, on just uh, <laughs> I'll get that word out, too. But, you know, I, I can say that the Congressional Budget Office issued a report recently that said by the year 2029, and that's going to be here faster than you know, the national deficit, the national debt will hit 105% of our gross domestic product. Uh, you know, that is in effect bankruptcy time, that we're going to have to have, pay more money off uh, for our debt than we're going to be able to spend for our military or health care or whatever else. That is another reason why, as I say, uh, our grandchildren are bankrupt, and if they're not involved in government and in politics uh, now, they'll certainly wish they had been because Students for Liberty is out there helping these folks. Uh, and thank you for that. You, we talk a little bit more about your programs. Uh, you have LibertyCon 2019. Uh, tell us about that. So LibertyCon, will, uh, that was as our flagship event. And I'm talking here probably to an audience of students, but also um, older generations, and that is our flagship event where we invite people like John Mackey, CEO of Whole Foods, or Nobel Prize winner Vernon Smith, or other really well-known people, interesting people from the arts, sciences, business, to come talk about the ideas of liberty. And we want to have also debates, so we often invite people from the left or people from the right, because we want to focus on civil discourse and really discussing these issues and not living in our own bubble. And that event is, the next one takes place from the 3rd to the 5th of April, 2020, here in Washington, D.C., and people can check it up online, libertycon.com. And over 50% of the attendees are non-students. So it is something for everyone. Many of our donors, supporters, partner organizations are showing up. Last year, uh, Google, Microsoft, and Facebook were sponsors. There are many liberty organizations there. And our best students are there. I had the honor to tell some of the stories of like Amiable from Burundi or from Jorge from Venezuela. These people will be there and you can interact with folks that, for instance, spread the ideas of liberty in Afghanistan. We had our first event last year uh, there. And if you hear their stories, you will come out of it refreshed, more optimistic and more determined to do something so that the crushing debt that you were just alluding to is something that we can tackle because it's not only the the debt to GDP ratio. Like another thing that is really, really frightening is also thinking about um, unfunded liabilities. And your readers can Google a name named Kotlikov if they really want to be scared because he makes calculation that we basically have unfunded liabilities of 200 trillion, taking into account pensions and all of the other promises that the government has made. And that is not part of the government accounting, which because government accounting is not the same accounting that business accounting has. <laughs> Oh, so a business would already like be very, very bankrupt at this point, but the United States government continue to do that. 
But um, those issues will be debated, but also other questions about free speech on campus, but also business and all kinds of different aspects. So it's it's an event for everyone. And I would encourage uh, your folks to check it out, libertycon.com, and I hope to see you there. We unfortunately have it designed, inbred into our democratic system, that politicians do not care about the future. They don't care about the future. They only care about the next election. And so they have a natural proclivity to what we'd call kick the can down the road as long as, yes, we have unfunded liabilities, but that's not going to be on my watch. So we'll let somebody else worry about that in the future. And and that's designed within our system. And it's up to us to to show about this. Students for Liberty, of course, uh, that's that's when the can comes to rest and they're going to have to be doing this. But but that's really an important thing. You're also having Liberty Cons in other countries around the world. Uh, where are they going on, Wolf von Lair? Yes. Um, so thank you for talking to me about these because they're very crucial events because Liberty Movement comes together, not only from the United States, but internationally. And so these conferences are important to gather the movement, to exchange knowledge, to learn about maybe programs like yours, um, Judge, because then people can maybe replicate it or learn from you or go on your show. And it's really important that you have a community. Because as you've said, it's not only about selfishness and we're doing our own things and don't tread on me. <laughs> like one of the slogans that we are using in Students for Liberty is don't tread on anyone. Because liberty is not only about me, me, me. It's about family and community and the betterment of everyone. Have everyone rise up, as you say. And that's beautiful and that's something that we need to spread more. Therefore, we have also LibertyCon in... The next one will be at one in Guatemala. We don't know the date yet. The other one will be in Spain and then we have one in Brazil as well. It truly is an international movement and these people come together there so that they can showcase this and really form a community of that because sometimes we are very lonely fighting for these ideas because people believe in bigger government and it can be draining to, to argue for these ideas and not see so much momentum. But we do have to realize that just in the last couple of decades, over 1 billion people got lifted out of poverty, which means so many more people can now see their families thrive instead of their families starve to death on the field. And that's just a thing of beauty. Yes, it doesn't go all correct. And yes, the United States has been going down the rankings of economic freedom in the last decade, which is very unfortunate. Um, And the trade wars right now don't help with that. But there is a lot of stuff going on. And right now, unemployment is low. Many more people can sustain their families. And life expectancy goes up. Wars are going down. People killed by terrorism is going down. All of these data you don't really hear about in the mainstream media because they are just being focused on like media in general, or mainstream media, media in general, because they're focused on making everything sensationalized. And they report about maybe something that happened that's bad instead of happening all the stuff that's good because that is gradual, that's relentless, and it's like not as interesting because human beings, we are trained to look out for things that make us fearful. And that's unfortunately what the media is focusing on, but I'm glad that your show has a more subtle and more positive approach, while also pointing out the issues that we still have to work on. So I'm not advocating for staying back. I mean, we are working every single day to organize events and educate and and get young people to become more capable to make a difference for liberty every single day. Indeed so. Hear ye, hear ye, listeners. Uh, We have a lot of bad things happening in the world, and we know it. And like Wolf von Lehr is telling us, we get hit in the face with that all the time, that if a train goes off the track in in Peru, uh, it's like it's next-door neighbor. But 
we also have a lot of good things that are happening. And one of them is, and we try to focus on those here in All Rise as well, but one of them is Students for Liberty. You're listening to our guest, Wolf von Lehr, their CEO. You can get more information by either Googling Learn Liberty or by going to their website, www.studentsforliberty.org. Uh, in the time remaining with us, Wolf, uh, you do have some movies, and that's an amazing form of communication. What are some movies that uh, you would recommend that people look at or documentaries? Uh, and are they accessible? Like on Netflix, there's this movie Free or Equal, as I understand it. Uh, tell us about that and, and how can people be able to uh, watch them? Are they on Netflix or, or anything like that? So there's different organizations that work on that, and it depends what the what the listener here of this show is interested in. I would point out a couple of websites where people can get their resources. If people want to have like more satirical videos or videos about issues and interviewing folks that are interesting, that do something on liberty, I would people to recommend to go to reason.com. If people are interested in more movies, as you were asking about, I would uh, them to encourage them to check out the Moving Pictures Institute. The Movers, Moving Pictures Institute that makes like a lot of interesting movies, and I don't... Uh, like right now I'm blanking on like some of the names of the better movies, but um, they, they do have like a quite an interesting and also artistic diversified portfolio of movies that they have there or mini series and so forth. Um, I think also that uh, the free to choose media has also many interesting interviews, mostly educational. And of course, free to choose is a very famous series from Milton Friedman, which is now a little bit dated because it got up, got out in the seventies, I think. Um, Judge Gray, is that correct? I think 70s? Yes, it is. And, uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic show. I mean, I've watched it twice, and it's, it's really, really good to, to watch that. But there is, like, more and more movies coming out because it's important to not only educate but also do it more softly with cultural and with music and art. And um, I'm glad that you're focusing on that as well. But those would be, like, some of the sources where, to, where I would start looking to learn about TV shows. I mean, personally... Which is quite ironic, but I think the first season of The Wire is a perfect example of like some of the bad incentives of government and and police and the war on drugs. And I know that you've talked about that and with other guests here. Um, ironically, the guy who isn't who made that video is a socialist. <laughs> but I think that that TV show is a fantastic TV show. It has strong language and and of course it's violent. So please be advised. But generally, it it if one looks at it from a somewhat of a libertarian point of view, one can get a lot out of it. Well, we have had uh, David Knott from Reason Foundation. We're going to have uh, uh, others from, from different liberty-minded shows take place as well uh, on, here on All Rise. But uh, before, you, before we leave us in this segment, Wolf von Lair, and thanks again for being our guest. Uh, I've been talking against our nation's drug war since 1992, when as a sitting trial court judge here in Orange County, California, I did something rather unusual. I held a press conference, but I assume Students for Liberty is also uh, talking about the drug prohibition and the real evils that have been inflicted by it upon us in our country as well as the world. And just because we say, no, we do away with drug prohibition does not at all mean that we condone using any of these various drugs. But what, what activity is Students for Liberty doing with regard to drug prohibition laws? Yes, absolutely. So one of the biggest successes, let me start off with that, is that in the country of Georgia, which is uh, located in Eastern Europe, 
we had in 2017 our students organized protests year after year and some of our alumni were active in that and they were able to get rid of like some draconian sentencing for people just having small amounts of marijuana on them they would normally been in prison for like 10 years and of course their life would be destroyed afterwards um, and they were able to get rid of that and so our students are focusing a lot on that we have the um one drugs campaign, like anti-war on drugs campaign. Uh, internationally, we give resources to our students and many of our students organizing events along those lines to educate folks. We also know, and um, I don't think that you and I have talked about that, but we have founded another organization. It's called the Consumer Choice Center. And we have experts there that come from Students for Liberty, but who are now focused on policy education. And they are now speaking in front of Congress, of the Israeli Knesset, of the Canadian Parliament, and the European Union about these issues and advocate for smart regulation of, like once these things becoming decriminalized or even legalized, that government is regulating them smartly. Because often government gets involved in it quite a lot, as in the case in many states with alcohol, which the United States is not very free on, as as you might know. <laughs> because yeah, I've, <laughs> I've said the U.S. is a wonderfully free country, but sometimes I miss I could like walk down the street with a beer, which I can do in Germany <laughs> and most other places in Europe. And that's well, something that you can appreciate, you know, and Wolf, you don't have that here, unfortunately. Yeah. Wolf, when I, when I see you next, I'm going to buy you that beer. You are a force. <laughs> I really thank you on behalf of our country and the world and certainly uh, students everywhere for what you are doing and Students for Liberty is doing. Check out studentsforliberty.org. Check out learn liberty and, and thank you for being with us so there my friends another edition of all rise the libertarian way with judge jim gray with our guest wolf van Lair and the students for liberty we don't have the answers like he said but my goodness sakes the force is there and it works so i just appreciate you being with us both as a listener we're around the world just like wolf was saying and students for liberty is uh, we've had numbers of Listeners in Ireland, even some in China, for heaven's sake, we're getting there. Progress is being made. Good things are happening. So tune in next week for another edition of All Rise, where we will understanding employing libertarian values, employing libertarian approaches, responsibility, incentives. We will all rise together. In the meantime, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my ball.